Hey y'all, this is Kimberly Mathis and you're listening to Decisions Change Everything. If you want to have a mind of your own, you've got to challenge the status quo and make decisions that create a life on your terms. So every week, I'll help you embrace the power of making your own choices. This podcast will help you know yourself more clearly, break free from expectations, and reclaim your autonomy by making big and small intentional decisions every day. Buckle up, because it's time to write your own rules and get a little rebellious. Hello, listeners. Happy Friday. Welcome to Episode 9, Relationship Anarchy for the Non-Anarchist. Thanks for choosing to connect with me here this week. I want you all to have a mind of your own, and that applies to every area of life, especially your relationships. Now, relationship anarchy, this was a new concept for me to learn about a few years ago, and it's a relatively new philosophy and term itself, originally written by a person named Andy Nordgren, who is Swedish, and so it was posted in Swedish originally in 2006, A couple years later, it was translated into English, and it's this document that has popularized this relationship philosophy, made it accessible to people, and has become a roadmap of sorts for what relationship anarchy actually means and what it's all about. This is not about anarchy as chaos. It's about anarchy as autonomy, structuring, defining, and participating in relationships on your own terms and in your own time. No justifications needed. So in this episode, I want to share with you these relationship anarchy or RA principles and give you an example of how you can use them to make your relationship more intentional, whether or not relationship anarchy overall is something you align with or a label you want to use. And I also want to make a point to say that if you were to Google something about relationship anarchy, you're probably going to see it mentioned alongside things like ethical non-monogamy or polyamory. Don't be scared off. As with literally any label or category that we've come up with, there are going to be people who are very rigid in their thinking about who and what qualify for each label. There are people who would probably say that if you're practicing anything traditional in your relationships or if you're monogamous, that you can't be a relationship anarchist but it shouldn't surprise you that I call bullshit. You get to decide what works for you, what informs your choices, and what philosophies and concepts you want to utilize. So don't be scared off if you are as monogamous as they come and keep seeing RA associated with non-monogamy. It's okay. That's exactly why I'm doing this episode. Because so many of us grow up with limited exposure to various relationship models, and our society upholds very specific ideas about what relationships should look like, what makes them successful. It's important to expose yourself to other options, not for the purpose of upending everything you've ever done or wanted or believed, but to make sure that out of all the options available, you really like what you're choosing and why you're choosing it. So on to relationship anarchy. I'm going to go through the principles with you and then give you an overview of what they mean and offer you some ways to use these principles to reflect on your own relationship. Now, a quick Google search will pull up relationship anarchy. It'll probably go right to the principles as written by Andy Nordgren. 
I'm going to be reading each one of them. So word for word, it is what she wrote. And then I'm going to offer you some thoughts about each one. So let's start out. Number one, love is abundant and every relationship is unique. In her words, relationship anarchy questions the idea that love is a limited resource that can only be real if restricted to a couple. You have the capacity to love more than one person and one relationship and the love felt for that person does not diminish love felt for another. Don't rank and compare people and relationships. Cherish the individual and your connection to them. One person in your life does not need need to be named primary for the relationship to be real. Each relationship is independent and a relationship between autonomous individuals. Okay, what I love about this is that it normalizes loving more than one person, of being attracted to others. And instead of making it a problem or an indication of the strength or legitimacy of your own relationship, it's just a thing that happens to humans. And we don't have to act on it. You get to decide. While it's totally possible to love in the romantic sense of the word that most of us associate with love, more than one person, even at the same time, it doesn't mean we have to be in the same kind of relationship with those people or even a relationship at all. One of the other things that this principle is really talking about is relationship hierarchy. So for instance, it's probably been your experience or the experience of someone you know that they might have been best friends with someone. And when that person got married, the new partner, the spouse, became the like top position. They moved up in the hierarchy over the friend. Doesn't matter if you had known them for 10, 15 years for your whole life, there's a shift that happens, and we've all been told that that's how it's supposed to be. But this principle basically says these can rank the same. You can have just as much priority for your friendship as your partnership, and that's okay. You can love them the same. One does not have to take precedent over the other. You get to decide. Principle number two. Love and respect instead of entitlement. She writes, deciding not to base a relationship on a foundation of entitlement is about respecting others' independence and self-determination. Your feelings for a person or your history together does not make you entitled to command and control a partner to comply with what's considered normal to do in a relationship. Explore how you can engage without stepping over boundaries and personal beliefs. Rather than looking for compromises in every situation, let loved ones choose paths that keep their integrity intact without letting this mean a crisis for the relationship. Staying away from entitlement and demands is the only way to be sure that you're in a relationship that is truly mutual. Love is not more real when people compromise for each other because it's part of what's expected. Now, this one, this is definitely a tenet that is used when people talk about ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, as well as the first one. But how can you think about or apply this tenet if both you and your partner prefer monogamy? Something it's made me think about is whether or not I would accept lovingly and compassionately, however hard it was, the end of a relationship if that's what my partner truly wanted. I think we're so used to the idea that you quote unquote fight for a relationship 
that the argument is made that, for instance, if two people were married, they took a vow and committed to each other for life. But what if the person you married isn't the same person you're with now? What if one or both of you have evolved in ways that are incompatible, perhaps, or just really difficult? As painful as it might be to say goodbye to a particular relationship, if we truly love and respect someone, why would we try to change their mind? Why would we make them feel guilty? I don't know about you, but I only want someone to be in a relationship with me if that's what they truly want for themselves. I don't want someone to be in a relationship with me out of a sense of commitment or guilt, like it's just what they're supposed to do or that they don't want to make me upset or don't want to make me feel bad. I want someone to be with me because they love their reasons. On to principle number three, find your core set of relationship values. How do you wish to be treated by others? What are your basic boundaries and expectations on your relationships? What kind of people would you like to spend your life with and how would you like your relationships to work? Find your core set of values and use it for all relationships. Don't make special rules and exceptions as a way to show people you love them, quote unquote, for real. Now, what immediately comes to my mind when I read this is the issue of unhealthy, harmful, or even abusive behavior and how often we let that slide with a romantic partner when we wouldn't tolerate that same behavior from a friend or an acquaintance. Nordgren's argument here is that if something is a value, if it's important to us, why would we make concessions on those values because someone loves us or we love them or we have a particular kind of relationship with them? Principle number four, heterosexism is rampant and out there, but don't let fear lead you. Remember that there's a very powerful normative system in play that dictates what real love is and how people should live. Many will question you and the validity of your relationships when you don't follow these norms. Work with the people you love to find escapes and tricks to counter the worst of the problematic norms and find positive counter spells and don't let fear drive your relationships. Now, we all know, or hopefully you do, that heterosexism affects us all, no matter what type of relationship we're in or how we identify. It's what pressures men to act macho and women to present as what we associate as typically feminine. It suggests things can get messy or awkward if you have a same-sex friend who is queer or that men shouldn't express affection for each other or, you know, their male friends. It is what has created backlash against comprehensive sexual education in schools and outright prohibition in areas looking at you, Florida. It's what prevents the same rights being offered to same-sex couples as their heterosexual counterparts. And as difficult as those things can be, you can still decide for yourself how you want to live, how you want to present, and how you want to do relationships. And with that being said, your safety is always a priority. So sometimes you may decide that presenting or living in certain ways within certain structures is something you can do in certain areas of your life and not in others. I get it. For example, I would love to be able to fly a pride flag on my front porch, but I live out in the country. I live near neighbors who have very different political 
and societal ideas in myself and have a lot of guns. I have had to decide in the moment if someone pulls up to my house and is like a repair person, like a serviceman, you know, some sort. And I see certain stickers on their truck. I'm probably going to refer to my partner as my friend and not my partner because I worry about my safety. That does not mean that I am not proud of myself. It doesn't mean that I am choosing to accept certain cultural norms. It's a safety issue. And then whatever I do behind closed doors or within other communities, however I want to live in other areas of my life, I get to be in charge of that. Principle number five, build for the lovely unexpected. Being free to be spontaneous, to express oneself without fear of punishments or a sense of burden shoulds is what gives life to relationships based on relationship anarchy. Organized based on a wish to meet and explore each other, not on duties and demands and disappointment when they are not met. Now, we can't help but go into relationships with a lot of preconceived notions about what we should do with partners, how we should act, what we should expect, how we should share or merge lives, how we should show love and loyalty. This principle really just wants to remind us of that and help us look at our relationship and partners with fresh eyes to discuss with our partners what our ideas are to discuss openly and frequently what we are wanting for ourselves and from our relationships and to listen to our partners with our assumptions and judgments in check. We never have to accept any requests or demands from partners about what they're wanting. That's always our choice. But to make decisions based on personal choice rather than rules or expectations helps us create much more intentional and healthy relationship dynamics and agreements. On to principle number six, fake it till you make it. Sometimes it can feel like you need to be some complete superhuman to handle all the norm breaking involved in choosing relationships that don't match the norm. A great trick is the fake it till you make it strategy. When you're feeling strong and inspired, think about how you would like to see yourself act. Transform that into some simple guidelines and stick to them when things are rough. Talk to and seek support from others who challenge norms and never reproach yourself when the norm pressure gets you into behavior you wish you hadn't had. So basically, this principle is saying we are all human. As much as you might want to do some things differently or approach your relationships with more intention and deliberate choice, we all have inherent biases old messaging, societal expectations and assumptions that we might not be aware of or that might be especially difficult to overcome. That's okay. What's important here is that you keep practicing, you keep trying, and you focus on your progress toward being the person you want to be. You don't have to get things right to do better. As one of my favorite relationship coaches, Maggie Reyes says, messy is okay. Okay, hang in with me. We have two more. Principle number seven, trust is better. Choosing to assume that your partner does not wish you harm leads you down a much more positive path than a distrustful approach where you need to be constantly validated by the other person to trust that they're there with you in the relationship. Sometimes people have so much going on inside themselves that there's just no energy left to reach out and care for others. Create the kind of relationship where withdrawing is both supported and quickly forgiven 
and give lots of people chances to talk, explain, see you, and be responsible in the relationship. However, always remember that no matter what your partner may be experiencing, take care of yourself and honor your core values. Now, Brene Brown often talks about trust. And one of the components she says is necessary for trust is being generous in our assumptions. That means we intentionally choose to give the people in our lives the benefit of the doubt rather than jumping straight to negative assumptions. One of the ways this has shown up for me personally is choosing to believe that my partner and other people in my life are adults who are in charge of their own feelings and own truthfulness so that I don't have to do the work for them. Or let's be honest, for me and my relationship anxiety, I don't have to do the work of figuring out what they mean or whether or not they're telling me the truth. And this is not blind trust either. But unless they're acting in ways that don't align with what they have told me, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I also want to highlight that last sentence here that she writes. However, Always remember that no matter what your partner may be experiencing, take care of yourself and honor your core values. We can, of course, empathize with someone who's experiencing inner turmoil or who has some self-development work to do. But that doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be treated badly. We always have a responsibility to take care of ourselves when others are incapable. Okay, I lied. There are actually three more, so we have two left. Okay. Number eight, change through communication. For most human activities, there is some sort of norm in place for how we're supposed to do it. If you want to deviate from this pattern, you need to communicate. Otherwise, things tend to end up just following the norm as others behave according to it. Communication and joint actions for change are the only way to break away. Radical relationships must have conversation and communication at the heart not as a state of emergency, only brought out to solve quote-unquote problems. Communicate in a context of trust. We're so used to people never really saying what they think and feel that we have to read between the lines and extrapolate to find what they really mean. But such interpretations can only build on previous experiences, usually based on the norms you want to escape. Ask each other about stuff and be explicit. Again, how often... And how easily do you openly and honestly communicate with the people around you? And how often and easily do you trust them to do the same? I was talking with a woman the other day at a networking event who's getting married this fall. One of the things that came up was how easy and inexpensive, wedding aside, it was to get married. And yet it's incredibly difficult and can cost thousands of dollars to get divorced. I'd love to see that flipped. I'd love to see more emphasis on having open conversations about the nitty gritty expectations and assumptions we have for the day-to-day partnership we're entering into. Conversations about how to deal with in-laws, if you expect your partner to take your side, what you don't want your partnership to include, what you want the division of labor, especially the invisible mental and emotional labor in the household to very specifically look like. And I'd love for us to realize that these conversations may need to happen over and over again as situations change or as we change. I'd love for us to realize that people in our lives are allowed to change their minds. And it's a whole lot easier to navigate that when we know we can speak openly about it with the people who matter to us. 
Okay, and here's the last one. Customize your commitments. Life would not have much structure or meaning without joining together with other people to achieve things. Constructing a life together, raising children, owning a house, or growing together through thick and thin. Such endeavors usually need lots of trust and commitment between people to work. Relationship anarchy is not about never committing to anything. It's about designing your own commitments with the people around you and freeing them from norms dictating that certain types of commitments are a requirement for love to be real or that some commitments like raising children or moving in together have to be driven by certain kinds of feelings. Start from scratch and be explicit about what kind of commitments you want to make with other people. Now, this one, this last principle is touching on exactly what we discussed in the last episode regarding the relationship escalator and the relationship smorgasbord. That is, you get to intentionally and creatively decide what gives your relationship meaning and fulfillment and how you want to structure your relationship. Anarchy is not about never committing to anything, but being more intentional about what you commit to. And don't we all want that? Don't we all want to approach our relationships that way? And don't we want our partners to do the same? Society is going to tell you that only certain relationships, relationship structures, commitments, and achievements are healthy and lead to success. But I'm pretty damn sure that every single one of you listening can think of a couple who's done everything the quote unquote right way and have a terrible, unhappy relationship. So if there's not actually one definite way to be happy in a relationship, you're free to figure out the way you want to do it. So there they are, all the principles of relationship anarchy. And I understand that for some of you listening, what we've discussed may not be a fit for you. There might be others of you who are drawn to some of these ideas, but not all of them. And that's okay. Let me tell you, it's not an all or nothing game. You don't have to swallow the manifesto whole. Maybe you just nibble a bit, take a morsel, wear it around like a garment, see if it fits. If it doesn't, off with it. If it does, you've just discovered new information that you can integrate into your life in whatever way you want. The fact is, those relationship expectations that we've been straddled with, they're not a one-size-fits-all garment. For some people walking into the relationship store, they're going to try on the first thing they see and it's going to look and feel great. And for others, the sales associate, why can't I say associate? I've tried to record this like four times now. Okay. The sales associate might insist that it's a fabulous piece of clothing that everyone loves. And yet when you try it on, it feels like a fucking straight jacket and you can't stand how it looks. So think of relationship anarchy as a whole section of the store that you didn't know existed, a section where you can design custom pieces rather than taking something off the rack. Take the things we've discussed here today, explore them, and integrate or adapt any parts that are appealing to you till you look in the mirror at that outfit and think, damn, I slay. When you cultivate a mind of your own, you free yourself to question the status quo to redefine what works best for you, and to create a life that truly fulfills you. Remember, the only reins here are the ones you're holding. So that's it, y'all. That's it for the episode today. Thank you for listening. If you want to work with me one-on-one to strengthen your identity, 
your decisiveness and your trust in those decisions, go to my website, www.kimberlymathis.com and book a free indecision intervention. We'll talk about what you're looking for, how I could help, and whether or not we're a good fit for working together and what you want to do next. These calls are for you and you only. Regardless of whether or not we work together, you'll leave the call with more clarity about what you need and what you want to do. Have a great weekend. I'll talk with you next time.